lane, 15-10, touchdown Chargers! Hey everybody, we are back with another episode of Chargers Weekly, week six, back from the bye, Cowboys Chargers on Monday Night Football. And money, my takeaways from week five, obviously the Chargers had it off, but you look at this AFC, doesn't scare me as much as it did maybe before the season started. I think there's three teams. One, the Chargers should have beat in week one, the Dolphins. Uh, two, the Bills, who lost in London. They'll play in December. Yeah. And, and obviously, uh, you got to slay the beast of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're going to have that opportunity. But I look up and down the conference, the Chargers, you may not like how it started the first quarter of this season. They're 2-2, two and two, and it's up to them to flip the narrative of their season. And what a golden opportunity against the Cowboys, followed by the Chiefs. Well, it's a, it's a tough stretch. You know, it's, you don't only play the AFC. you got to play these NFC teams, and, and you got to play the Lions. And, you got you know, this next stretch is obviously Cowboys Monday night. Uh, the Chiefs coming off a mini-bye because they're playing tonight when we record this against the Broncos. Let's go, Broncos. Can we uh, root for Sean Payton and Russell, and Russell Wilson here? Uh, you know, so they get a mini-bye. The Chargers get a short week. So that's a tough back-to-back. You, you yep. hate to be 2-4 and four coming out of that. You'd love to get at least a split. We know it's going to be tough in Kansas City. We know the Chiefs play the Chargers well. The Chargers play the Chiefs well. Um, and we've gone through this, you know, but, but after that, you look and it's like, okay, I can make a case that this is a, a good stretch for the Chargers to, to build some win equity. Bears at home, at the Jets, Lions at home, at the Packers, Ravens at home, at the Patriots, Broncos at home, at the Raiders. So just go through that stretch. And, and the one thing that jumps out at you is, okay, there's winnable games. The Chargers will probably be favored. They get the Ravens at home. They get the Lions at home. But those are tough road trips. You know, you're talking about East Coast trips to New York, Monday night, primetime in the Big Apple, you know, to Green Bay, Lambeau Field, you know, very heck of a home field advantage there for Green Bay all the way to freaking Foxborough. And we know it feels like you're taking a drive into the Salem Witch Trials when you roll into Foxborough, just how creepy <laughs> that place is. So, and, and the Raiders, you know, a place where they have struggled, you know, that they have struggled to win a game in Las Vegas. So it looks good, but it's still a bit of an arduous stretch, you know, and as we saw, the Bills looked like a buzzsaw two weeks ago. And, you know, to some degree, that's a tough one for them. You know, you have the Jaguars who've been there for a full week plus and have acclimated and have settled in. And, you know, they fly over there on Friday and have to figure out a way to, to get after it, not to mention losing their two best defensive players now in back-to-back weeks. So Oof, what I'm getting at is, you know, it, it looks good. It looks like it's lining up, but there's still – you can still make a case of, yeah, this is probably a little tougher than maybe it looks on paper when fans are trying to draw out their, their wins and losses. Yeah, and it's up to the Chargers, frankly. I mean, this week is almost a reset. It sounds like, you know, we're taping this on a Thursday. The first injury report will come out today. But it sounds like everybody except for Joey Bosa was on the practice field earlier this week. Uh, We're expecting Austin Eckler to return to the lineup, which should give that that running game some some juice. Uh, You hope Joey's back, and you pair him with Thule and, and Khalil, and they can kind of build off that success. Uh, Derwin and Alohi, obviously, uh, in the secondary. And, you know, you're going up against a Cowboys team who, frankly, was just outclassed 
in every facet against the San Francisco 49ers, 42 to 10. Uh, that defense just buzzsawed by, by Brock Purdy and company. And, you know, that Niners defense can make a lot of people look mortal. Dak Prescott, maybe one of the worst games of his career. Uh, I, I set that up for you to say, do you want to see Dallas coming off a huge loss like this? Or, hey, they're struggling right now. Maybe it's time to pounce. Well, I, I think what I'm hoping is that Brandon Staley does what he did last year. Remember, Miami went to San Francisco, and, you know, you kind of saw – I think that's how it went. I feel like there was a team that gave him the blueprint for what he did against Miami. Uh, I should go and look at what the – that would be good if I had done that homework before the, uh, before the pod here. But it, remember, they had a, a great game uh, against Miami when everybody thought they weren't going to play well. And, yes, that's exactly what it was. So I was right. Miami plays San Francisco. San Francisco gives Brandon, to some degree, the blueprint. Hey, this is, this is a good idea of how to play this offense. And Brandon took it to the next level and, and played an even better game against Miami than the 49ers. F let's flip that. I hope they're watching, and I'm sure they are, what Kyle Shanahan did to that Dallas defense. I went back and watched every snap, in particular the Micah Parsons pass rush. Now, number one... You know, the, the conversation with the best left tackle in the NFL starts with Trent Williams. And when he was one-on-one -on -one with Micah, he won. And I think that's kind of what we're thinking about with Rashawn Slater. We feel pretty good that if Slater's healthy and one-on-one -on -one with Micah Parsons, he's going to hold his own. Um, when Micah wasn't one-on-one, -on -one, it is incredible to watch all the different looks that they gave him. Because the thing about Micah Parsons and, and why he is such a game wrecker is he's everywhere. He's lined up on the right tackle, and before you know it, he's just he is a flash in through the A-gap between the center and the guard, and nobody knows who has him. They ran so much motion. They ran receivers into him. They stacked two tight ends, and then all of a sudden moved both of them, and Micah thinks he's got a free pass rush, but they're flashing wide open a half a second after the snap for 15 yards. Like They did so much, basically centered around one player. What are we going to do to negate Micah Parsons? And whether it was double teams or triple teams or running backs chipping, a lot of it was just the way they ran the offense and when they were running away from him. And when he thought he had one-on-ones, when he didn't, the ball was already out by the time he got to Brock Purdy. I think he only had – I think I only counted two pressures, maybe three in that entire game. And you're talking about a guy who's got 30 on the season. Yeah. So to me, that's, that's the benefit of getting the Cowboys off of that game is just go back, watch the blueprint, and look at how the 49ers specifically, you know, tried to negate the Micah Parsons problem. We'll get into Kellen Moore and, and Nuss uh, facing their former team, but I, I just want to look at these Cowboys stats real quick. And So in their three wins, Money, they've allowed a total of 13 points. In their two losses, they've allowed a total of 70 points. So who's the real Cowboys defense? Obviously, Leighton Van Der Esch is not going to play in this game. Uh, Trayvon Diggs hurt earlier in the season. So down a, a couple of big dudes. Um, the Cardinals were able to run wild on them, 222 yards. San Francisco ran for a buck 70. So how do you attack this Cowboys defense knowing that they've kind of been Jekyll and Hyde this year? You know, when they're dominant, they're super dominant. And uh, when they were exposed – Boy, were they exposed. So two things. I think it's so important when you have such a small sample 
to look at, you know, specifically. Okay, let's talk about the three wins. New England's offense has been an abject failure. We just saw a Saints team that's got a good defense, but their offense yeah, has been lacking out. all season long. So shut them out. You know, so take that 38-3, to three and you recognize that they've had issues. And, and I went back and watched all those snaps as well with Mike, and he just abused Trent Brown. Just, I mean, he was all over that offensive line, Micah Parsons was, and just wrecked the game. Uh, Arizona was interesting. Dobbs played a really good game. I mean, he just hung in the pocket. I mean, he took a lot of shots and was able – to just kind of get what he wanted, waited for those routes to develop downfield and was getting those chunk plays, which opened things up for the run game that you were talking about, Chris. The Giants, we know Evan Neal has been a major issue. The majority of those 30 pressures for Parsons came in that game. I, I bet at least 10 of them were from that game, and it was all right tackle. So much of it was on Evan Neal. I'd say at least four of them were wide open runways to Daniel Jones. And then the Jets, we know, that's the first game coming off the emotional high of Monday Night Football on 9-11. You lose Aaron Rodgers, and it exposed how bad their offensive line was. So what I'm getting at is it all comes down the O-line and blocking. And I think if you can block up front, and that's why I think, you know, you heard, I think it was Coach Staley. I want to say it was Coach Staley that said it after practice. You know, he just said, this group's too good to, to have the pressures that we have. This offensive line group is too good. So, and I agree with that. When when you have Sawyer and Zion at guard, they've played well. You know, Pipkins has been a, a league average, if not better, right tackle, and Rashawn Slater is an elite left tackle. I know you don't have Corey Lindsley, but as long as that group can block and at least not allow Micah Parsons to become a game wrecker and not allow Lawrence to to feed off of all the attention you're giving. Parsons I think they can move the I think they can do not maybe not what the 49ers were doing because Kyle Shanahan's offense is just incredible um, but I think they can do what what you know the 49ers did to some degree and, and what the Cardinals were able to do and that's block it up scheme it up and and take advantage of a back end without Trevon Diggs it's given up some big plays so you alluded to it let's look, just look at the quarterbacks that they faced Daniel Jones week one Zach Wilson week two, Joshua Dobbs week three, Mac Jones week four, Brock Purdy week five. Um, Brock is in the probably the best situation in the NFL right now, right. but Justin Herbert Kyle is going to be the best quarterback that they face to this yeah. point. And by the way, Kellen Moore is going to be calling the plays. Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn know each other very, very well. Um, who has the edge in, in, a, in a game like this, Money, especially Kellen coming straight off the, the Cowboys coaching staff. I mean, it's not like this is two or three years removed. He knows this personnel like the back of his hand. Yeah, I think what happens in those, because, you, you know, we have enough film now. You got five games of the Cowboys. The Cowboys have four games of the Chargers. So they kind of know what the offense looks like, what the defense looks like. If there's any advantage, it's tendencies. It's just being around that person and that coach and knowing, okay, I, I kind of know where he likes to go in this situation, you know, we're down. This is his gotta have it play on third down. That's the sort of stuff that having coached with somebody else will, will produce. And so I don't think it's a, because it's, you know, even Kellen said it when he was hired, you know, he said, look, we're going to use a lot of the stuff that worked here and then I'll figure out what I want to add to it and, and how we'll adjust. So if anything, maybe Kellen has a little bit of an advantage there because it's predominantly the exact same defensive roster 
that they had the last couple years that 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 Kellen Moore had practiced against, you know, day in, day out, all season long, kind of knowing what what Dan Quinn wants to do. So I guess if I were to give an edge, it, it'd be there. You know, the Chargers also, I think, Chris, I forgot to mention this, is Austin Eckler's back. And we talked about some of the pass pro issues that Josh Kelly and Isaiah Spiller have had this year. And specifically in that Miami game, those blitzes at the end of the game, you know, two of those were missed opportunities for Joshua to pick up the blitz and he chose wrong. You know, it's up to him to choose right and he chose wrong. So we know Austin is one of the best pass pro backs in the league. That's going to help a lot. That, that's, that I think is going to go a long way, specifically with a group that can get to the quarterback here. So, you know, for Kellen, I'm guessing, I think he's still trying to account for the loss of Mike Williams. I, I think that's still something that, that he's going to have to figure out, um, you know, sort of beyond how do I take advantage of Dan kind of knowing what he likes to do. I think that's, you know, riddle one. Riddle two is how do I get Austin Eckler? back in here and use him as an ultimate weapon that I know he can be that creates just nightmares for defensive coordinators. I think those are probably his two. I would guess that's priority. Priority one is solve Micah Parsons. Priority two is how do I, how do I get things to open up downfield so I can get this running game going and three use Austin Eckler. Well, you're halfway there in slowing Micah Parsons with Rashawn Slater Uh, with Austin Eckler, getting that running game going, knowing that the Cardinals, and Niners ran for almost a combined 400 yards. You saw what Austin did in week one. Since Austin has been out of the lineup, I believe the Chargers are averaging like 2.7 a carry. So getting Austin back and having a week to prepare for this Cowboys defense, how are you going to use Austin? How are you going to use Darius Davis? And you said it, money, just that riddle, trying to figure out how you're going to get the ball down the field without Mike Williams. Uh, Can Quentin Johnson step up? Uh, Who's going to kind of, fill the void of Mike. We know Joshua Palmer had a big play a couple of weeks ago, but you know we're going to have to see it at some point. I think this would be a, a nice spot for, for Quentin Johnson to be showcased a little bit if he can get open and Justin can trust him. Yeah, I think for the run game, you know, it's one thing not to run the ball against Minnesota. You know, Justin tore him apart because yeah. they chose to commit that many resources to the box and blitz on nearly every single snap. So just take advantage of it. If you can beat it, beat it. And he did. And they, you know, picked him apart that way. Uh, the Raiders game's a little disconcerting just because you should have been able to run against that defense. The difference was they didn't see a light box. I mean, they, they, they really haven't seen light boxes, you know, outside of the Miami game. It, they're, they're, you know, they, they've been seven guys, eight guys, they had, the Raiders had nine guys in the box repeatedly in that second half. So they got to open it up. That's, that's how you get the running game to work. You have got to force defenses to honor the deep ball. This is what happened last year, you know, when, when Joe Lombardi just wouldn't push the ball or Justin. I don't know, you know, how you want to distribute sort of the responsibility of not being able to push the ball downfield. Now, we know that's not the case this year. You know, Justin's averaging almost nine yards per attempt in air yards. That's, you know, the highest of his career. So we know that that they're pushing the ball. A lot of that, though, disappeared when Mike went down, and, and they've got to be able to get it back, whether it's using tight ends and seams and, and pushing that, you know, or if it – because, you know, I'd like to see Gerald Everett get involved a little bit more just in the middle of the field. If you're going to commit that many resources to the line of scrimmage, you should be able to find some soft spots in the center. And I just want to see Justin take – few more shots I just I feel like even though the numbers say that yes he is pushing the ball further down 
there's a couple, if you just go back through the film, there's a couple sluggos in there that he just doesn't allow them to develop. You know, he's already moved on. And it's like, well, you know what the route is. You know, there was one Mike Williams one against um, Tennessee that jumps out at me. It's like, you know that he's running a sluggo, so you got to wait for the slant to, to become a go and, and before you move off of that. And so I think that's something that we talked about repeatedly last year, right? That Justin's such a fast processor and can get through his reads so quickly that he just wants to find that first one that's open right away. And I think you have to sort of coach him into the, let's, let's breathe. You got a good offensive line. Let's let the play develop. And let's see if we can get a couple of these that, that we dial up to, to pay off. So there was one for Josh as well, and he just missed the pass, remember? And, and Palmer had talked about that. Yeah. After the Raider game, he's like, I'm so happy I got that second one because we missed the first one where he was open. So I think it's important for them to go back through all of those plays and say, hey, I know you picked up six here, but let's, let's just hang here for a second, you know, or start there and then let's go here, you know, work your progressions in a different manner so we can see if that if what we're dialing up for that shot play is is paying off. I think that's the most intriguing part of Monday night is, is seeing how this offense can kind of get back on track and in sync and, and find ways to get the ball down the field, especially looking at that second half against the Raiders where nothing was going. So a couple of weeks to prepare for Dallas. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll touch on the Chargers defense. Hey, Chargers fans, you want to eat? Uber Eats now available for in-stadium pickup. Order all of your stadium favorites from your seat with the Uber Eats app. Just set your location to SoFi Stadium, select your favorites, and you'll receive a notification when your order is ready for pickup. There are many mouth-watering options in SoFi Stadium. Let the stadium rumble, not your stomach. Go Chargers. And of course, a big thank you to our partner, Microsoft Surface, the official sideline technology provider and laptop of the NFL and the Los Angeles Chargers that provides players and coaches with the tools to succeed both on and off the field. Check out the powerful Surface Pro 9, combining the power of a laptop with the flexibility of a tablet at Surface.com. So, Money, I mentioned this. Uh, Dak Prescott, perhaps one of the worst games of his career last Sunday night in San Francisco. San Francisco makes everybody look bad. Uh, but yeah. Dak coming off a three-interception performance. Uh, C.D. Lamb, there's questions about him getting going. And you know, obviously Tony Pollard in the backfield. Where do you start in attacking this Cowboys offense if you're Brandon Staley? Well, I start with Terrence Steele uh, because he has given up 17 pressures, two sacks, six quarterback hits, and a pressure rate that's sniffing 10%. So, so much like we start. talked about. Yeah, against the, the Raiders with Illuminor, who had very similar numbers. Start there. Um, I think that's kind of attack the weak spot. And that's, you know, whether that's Thule or Joey, if he's healthy, or Khalil Mack, let's start there. And let's see if you can take advantage of that and force Dak into some more, you know, some more problems. It kind of goes back to what we said about the Raiders. You know, you had you two things you got to take care of. Max Crosby and Devontae Adams. And if you can do that, you should win the game. You know, force them to beat you. You know, force them to beat you left-handed. Don't give them the right. So if the right is CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons, it starts there. Uh, and you take, away, you take away Micah, obviously, with hope, hoping that he rushes opposite Rashawn Slater and he can hold his own. Or you, you double, you get tight ends, you get multiple tight ends. You make sure Austin Eckler is always on Micah Parsons' side and has his eyes on him at all time if he's staying in. You know, it's those things. In the case of 
Dak, you make sure C.D. land. That's where he wants to go. You make sure C.D. is is taken care of. Tony Pollard doesn't hasn't quite had that season that they had hoped. Mm-hmm. You know, once they moved on from Zeke and, and flipped him the keys, he's only got six explosives, and of those, four of them are barely over ten yards. So that's that's something that they're trying. I would imagine that's what Mike McCarthy wants to get going against this team. Let's see if we can get our run game established much like Josh McDaniels tried to do with Josh Jacobs. And they did a great job of, of holding it down, you know, and, and that's also happened in Tennessee with Derrick Henry, right? And they did a great job of keeping it in check. So let's see if, if they can do that again. And I think very similar to what we saw in Minnesota, you know, where, where their run game did get going. Everyone's like, wow, how this team only has four, you know, rushes over five yards. Why is it going? Well, because they don't want Justin Jefferson to beat him, and he was doubled the entire game. Now, he did burn him, you know, for that 53-yarder and ultimately ended up getting quite a few explosive plays. But that was their priority, was making sure that Justin Jefferson, or at least trying to slow him down. Ultimately, it didn't work. He ended up with nearly 150 yards in that touchdown. But for the most part, so much of that came on that one play. I think that's that's something to keep in mind is is I'm sure they're going to try to get Tony Pollard going. He is rushing for over four per carry. Uh, he has just two rushing touchdowns. The majority of his runs and every single every single one of the explosives came in the A or B gap. So he's going to try to run between the tackles, which means it's an Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day game uh, and uh, Eric Kendricks and Eric Kendricks and, and Kenneth Murray game as well to make sure – you're a, be a sound tackler. I feel comfortable with Thule and Khalil setting the edges, but that's yep. not really what he does. He's he's trying to gash you. Um, so that's – I know that's kind of a lot. I'm sort of ping-ponging all over the place, but I think attack Terrence Steele, make sure CeeDee Lamb does not beat you because that's what Dak wants to do. And then, you know, the, the interior of that line and the interior of the defense, linebackers, defensive tackles, just sound tackling. So Tony doesn't have an opportunity to have one of those Tony Pollard 200-yard, two-touchdown games. Yeah, Pollard, eight carries for 29 yards against the 49ers. CeeDee Lamb, four for 49 on just five targets. Uh, yeah. you, you saw the Raiders. The running game wasn't really going with Josh Jacobs, but they got him going through the air. I think he had 81 receiving yards in that game. So right. Tony Pollard, a similar back who who can get going. Uh, in the passing game but you you know the week before you mentioned you know the Patriots are just a mess right now they won 38 to 3 over New England and I'm I'm looking at the Cowboys stats here Tony Pollard just 11 for 47 Jake Ferguson was was your leading receiver Michael Gallup so it's not necessarily Justin Jefferson and, and Jordan Addison and Devontae Adams that you're checking um, it, it's a it's an interesting offense because you know you lose the tight end Dalton Schultz to to Houston and um, I think Cavante Turpin got hurt in that game if I'm not mistaken uh, the the speedster from from TCU that burnt the Chargers in the preseason last year so yeah. I think Pollard and, and CD Lamb are, are the two guys that you can't let get off in, in this game against the against the Cowboys bunny yeah you look at targets and you know it's it's pretty balanced. You know, CD's yeah. got 39, which is the most for his 28 receptions. But remember, Michael Gallup's kind of coming back off that injury. So he's been eased into it a little bit more slowly, but he's starting to become a big part and he's got some speed. He's a good player, you know, and he's got 24 targets. Like you met Brandon Cook's 20. We know what he can do with speed, those explosive plays. And I think that's, that's something this team and 
you know, they, I don't remember how many they had. I think it was four. I think it was four explosive plays against the explosive passing plays against the Raiders. But two of those were Josh Jacobs. One, just a disaster of mistackling, you know, on that yeah. third and 19 that they allowed him to get 21. So you're hoping that, and I brought this up last week, and, and I'll, I'll mention it again today, you know, the defense has gradually gotten better. You know, they, they have been asked to win a game. You know, they, they have been tasked with, you, you need to hold a lead here in the final two minutes. And they've done it with interceptions both times. And now we just saw Dak, who's got four interceptions, three of them last week on the season. You know, that's promising that, that Asante has, you know, become that player where you expect him to make, you know, we, we, we were used to that since his rookie year. He's a gambler, you know, he, he has some issues in coverage, but he's also exceptional at others. And if he can face the quarterback, He's very good at kind of feeling out what's coming his way. He's, he's got a very good mind that way, you know, where he struggles is if his back is, is to the quarterback and he's got to track and, and try to stick with the receiver step for step. That's where he struggles. But So I, I'd love to see, you know, kind of more schemes that put him in that position where he is facing, um, you know, the quarterback. A little bit more zone. If you're now comfortable, J.C. Jackson is gone. Aloe Gilman is back. Derwin is back. Okay, well, now I'm a little more comfortable knowing if I want to play quarters and I want to play a two-high shell, I'm comfortable that these guys know what their leverages are. They know what their assignments are. They know who's being passed off and who's running with who. And, like, that's, that's I think, something that I wouldn't mind seeing. You know, see if you can get into Dak's head and, and make it – get an early interception, get an early turnover, and, and try to kind of get that clock working and speed it up you know, for the, the remainder of the game. So that's, you know, because of the health, I'm hopeful of that. You know, we saw, we saw Dean Marlowe, I thought, excel. I thought mm -hmm. he played a great game, a, a real solid game against the Raiders. So now if you can play that too high shell, you know, with, in, in a dime and Derwin's out there freelancing as almost a linebacker, you know, that's something that can really create some issues for the Cowboys. So there's, you know, I got a lot of hope for, now that everybody's healthy in the secondary, you're settled with your rotation. Let's see if you can, you know, kind of get Brandon Staley to do what he came here to do, and that's coordinate a defense that creates turnovers, uh, that does not allow explosive plays. That's the whole idea of the, the Vic Fangio defense, you know, the quarters and the two high. You're supposed to keep everything in front of you, so keep it in front of you and, and force them to have these 10, 12, 13, 17-play drives if they want to score a touchdown, and you hope you can create a mistake on one or two of them. It was encouraging to to see the play of uh, Marlowe and Lane a couple of weeks ago in the absence of, yeah. of Derwin and Alohi. You get those guys back. And, you know, I saw an interesting quote from Michael Davis about just not really knowing who was going to start at the beginning of the year with him and J.C. And, and I have to imagine, I'd love to get your thoughts on just the fact that now that we know J.C.'s gone, that Michael Davis can just maybe take a breath and say, hey, this is my starting job now. Uh, I don't have to worry about anything but just playing ball. I, I, I think that that provides a nice reset for the secondary, getting these guys back, but also just kind of the comfort of knowing that, hey, this is my side of the football field, and uh, I'm not looking over my shoulder anymore. I think so much of it, Chris, is just how, how many rules there are in Brandon's defense, yeah. how many different things you have to, to follow and adjustments that you have to make. You know he likes to confuse – you know, that's what he did against – Aiden O'Connell against the Raiders, there's just a ton of pre-snap movement and masking and trying to muddy the picture for him. So when you're 
when you're on it for a series and then you're not and then you're back in and then oh I've been sitting for the entire third quarter and now I'm coming in the fourth and what's my leverage here what am I supposed you know that's if you're out there the whole time I feel like you can create that continuity you, you know what the rules are you know what your assignment is on any given play when it's called and I think that's sort of to me that's important that's important if you're going to run this defense you know with Gus it was simple it's like I believe in you guys this is what we do we don't blitz I rush four you guys are we're playing cover one or cover three and this is what we do let's go get it you know go make plays that's not Brandon it's you know it's cover six it's quarters it's it's passing guys off am I am I supposed to pass here am I supposed to run with him you know like you think about that third and 19 Kenneth Murray just got stuck he was in the wrong spot and that that left middle flat was left wide open and then you have two missed tackles and that's how you gain 21 yards on a third and 19 because just there's so many rules you have to follow so to me that's that's what comes out of no JC is these guys can be out there together as long as they're healthy the whole time and know exactly what their assignments are and and what they're supposed to do to execute a defensive play call how do you deploy Derwin now that he's back money Look, I think he's best closer to the ball. You know, I think DJ said something uh, on the air that that rings so true. It's like, you know, he can do everything. He's that player. He's that good. He's capable of doing everything. But that doesn't mean that's the best way to use him. The, The best way to use him is to get him as close to the football as possible. It's it's blitzing. It's chipping the tight end. It's putting him in the slot over C.D. Lamb and, and using, you know, his physicality and his strength to bust him up a little bit and make, make the day a little bit longer. So, to me, that's, that's the best way to use him. I'm not saying that, that he's a box, exclusively a box safety. What I'm saying is he's just – Derwin is exceptional when he's close to the ball. That's where I want him. I don't want him 15 yards deep that second high safety with the Lowy Gilman without the ability to impact the play on every single snap. So I'd love to see more blitzes. He's so good at timing up his blitz, you know, that, that I would like to see more of that. So that's, that's what I would do. You know, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I don't know what Dean Marlowe looks like in practice, if they have the confidence to put him up there, you know, and, and, and trust him. I would like to think they do, you know, I don't know how much stock they put into the Aiden O'Connell quarterback Raiders offense, you know, and all the pressure that they were getting on him, you know, when it comes to to Dak and a pretty darn good offensive line save what Terrence Steele's kind of shown so far this season. Just look at the AFC West, man. Like, Jimmy G comes back. Inexplicably, Devontae Adams gets like four targets, right? They're two and three. They play the Patriots next week. Raiders, I don't think, are, are scaring anybody in the AFC. The Broncos are are done right they're they're ready to rebuild i think randy gregory's out the door now uh it sounds like a lot of guys could be on the market so you know you lose to kansas city thursday night right. you, you best believe that more guys are going to be out the door um going around the afc the south you lose to the titans but everybody's kind of middling in the south uh, the Bengals are kind of resurgent at this point i, I think some expect them to kind of uh regain their their form of the last couple of years uh baltimore's up and down Pittsburgh's offense is is not great. Uh, Cleveland, you don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Um, their defense is good. 
the the Jets are, are, are a mess uh, offensively, even though they beat the Broncos. The Patriots are done. And then you got Miami and Buffalo. So, you know, the first two weeks couldn't have gone worse for the Chargers. But you get to two and two at your bye, and it's almost like, okay, you have everything in front of you. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, but money, these next seven days from from Monday night to Sunday in Arrowhead, it's going to tell us a lot about this team. You mentioned that, that there's some there's some hate again, I guess, uh, after Dallas and uh, Kansas City with games like Chicago and the Jets coming up, and you mentioned the Patriots and uh, the Packers, uh, teams you can you could definitely beat uh, on the road. Uh, but it, it, at some point, you're going to have to take control of your season. You're going to have to show people that, hey, we can win uh, against the best in the NFL. We can win convincingly. We're still waiting for that that one victory that's a little bit more decisive than what we're used to seeing here uh, in uh, recent yeah. games. So I just look at the next you know two games against high-quality Super Bowl-caliber opponents and say, hey, if you can win these two games – people are going to talk about you and maybe that's the leaping off point you need. You know, I don't, it's not, you you can't tank in the NFL like you can in the NBA. It's just too violent of a game. Guys will get hurt. Sure. It's not, it's not something you can do, but what you can do is adjust your roster accordingly. So just pull up the Bron. You mentioned the Broncos, right? So I pull up their schedule. They got Kansas city twice in the next three weeks, right? This short week, on Thursday night at Arrowhead, and then they get him again on the 29th at home before their bye, and that's right at the trade deadline. So, like, to me, I think about how, for whatever reason, no matter how good they've been and how bad the rest of the division has been, the Chargers just seem to split. You know, they they have not been able to sweep the Broncos, to sweep the Raiders. So they're one in, you know, they're one and zero in the division now. They beat the Raiders, and now they get a chance to beat the Chiefs. Like, to me, that's still the most important goal you know don't put yourself in play for a wild card you have no idea like you said if the Bengals are going to catch fire if the Jaguars are are ready to take that step if the Colts are are going to be a viable player because they've got an NFC an AFC South schedule that's got some question marks you never know what the Titans are they're great one week they're horrible the next can they find themselves a, a rhythm so if you can take that out of play and take care of the division to me that's where that that game against the Chiefs because they have not looked dominant yet they just mm-hmm. they just haven't they they their wide receivers have left a lot to be figured out you know Sky Moore was supposed to be the replacement for Tyree Kill this fast explosive player that's going to run those quick slants and get a ton of yard after catch and it's clear that Mahomes is just not comfortable with him. You know, it feels like the most comfortable receiver is Justin Watson. That's his guy, you know? So it's like, that's Marquez Valdez-Scantling's barely getting two targets per game. You know, Kelsey's banged up. Let's see what that looks like. Like, and we know how well Derwin tends to play him the last game against the Chiefs last season, notwithstanding, you know, when Kelsey put it on him. But we know that that tends to be a good matchup. So I think there's, I, I feel like there's, that opportunity is still there. At 2-2, two and two, you can still sweep the Broncos, sweep the Raiders. That's four wins right there. You know, yeah. can you get a win against the Chiefs and put yourself back in play? You know, for they've done it. Go, let's go the last two years, Chris. They have played the Chiefs with the division in the balance. Where yeah. they get that win, last, 
year, they get that win on that. I don't remember if it was a Thursday or a Sunday night. I think it was a whatever it was. They get that win, and now the division's in play. And, and that's something I think they just have to try to get over that hump. Win the division. Don't have to play three road games in order to get to the Super Bowl. Get that. Try to get that by. You know, and you can do that by winning the division. And they're playing so many teams that are going to be in the set. That's what's great about it is it's there. Now, like you said at the start of the pod, it's up to them to take advantage of it. But they play Buffalo. They play the Chiefs. They play the Ravens. Like all of these teams that are going to be in play for their their division, they're going to play them. They're going to have an opportunity to win the head-to-head. You know, they already lost the one to the Titans. They lost the one to Miami. So this is where they got to start kind of, you know, sort of performing that calculus of how do we get that by? How do we get that or at least get a home game in week one and maybe home games in, you know, if we got to play the wild card, home games in week one and week two. You know, that's that's still there. That is still available to to them. And considering how close those games were against Miami, had a lead with five minutes left in the game, despite how poorly the defense had played throughout. Um, and Tennessee, where you're up two touchdowns and you just let it get away from you. Like, so it's there. Yep. I'm just hoping they had a chance to figure it out through the, through the bye. So. I recognize close doesn't count, but nobody plays the Chiefs closer than Justin yeah. Herbert. You know, it, it, those two games, I think it was, it was a Sunday nighter last year and a Thursday nighter the year before. The Thursday right. nighter, I specifically remember, like, if, if they won that game, they were in the driver's seat for the AFC right. West because they had uh, the Texans. That was the COVID game and they ended up losing that game. But um, it, you, you get so close against this team. It, this Chiefs team looks like the one that you could p- potentially dethrone because of all the points that you mentioned. That, that offense has been a little bit out of sync. Nobody really on the outside scares you that much. Uh, Travis Kelsey's been banged up. That defense is playing pretty good. And obviously Chris Jones is back in the mix. Uh, but, this is one of those opportunities they're going to have to seize. And you know Justin Herbert has to be seething at, at playing this team as, as close as they've played them and coming on the, the short end of the stick. And, you know, we're talking about Kansas City now. It's, it's two weeks away. Obviously, the Cowboys are the focus on Monday night. But sure. I, it's just this stretch money that I, that I think really can can flip the narrative nationally. Not that that really matters, but I think more so for that locker room to have a little bit of belief that, hey, we're on the track. We're 4-2 and two after these games against the Cowboys and Chiefs, and now we can really make our hay and have the inside track for the AFC West, uh, a division that the Chiefs have dominated, I guess, since 2015, right? So at some point, it's going to have to happen. The, Ch- uh, the Chargers are the closest team to making that happen. We know the Broncos and Raiders uh, aren't going to get it done this year in the West. It's up to the Chargers. Yeah, I think... You know, for like you said, you can't look past the Cowboys. To me, it's it's imperative for them to be three and three. I think at two and four, that's when you start pressing, and you know you get the the Bears. I think it's because you know you're alternating home and road. I just want to make sure I got it right because I think it's Bears then at Jets is sort I think of you're, what for the what rest of the year, now. right? You're alternating, right? Every every so if you're two and four, are you pressing against the Bears? Are you are you just a little too tight, knowing okay, we lose this and the season very well could be over. You know, much like it was, remember, when they went to Tennessee, lost 
that game on those Melvin Gordon fumbles at the goal yep. line. They were two and five, and it just felt like, ugh, man, that was the game. You know, that was the game. You had to be three and four. And you don't want them to press, press against the Jets. And then you got the Lions coming in. You know, if now you're four and four, and you got the Lions coming in. It's like, oh, are we going to go under 500 again? And is this kind of what we are all season? So it's not the end of the season if you, if you lose them both. But to me, I, I would just hate to go that far below 500 at that point of the season you know get to that get through those two worst case at three and three and and then you feel a little bit better because you get that the schedule eases up you know you're not playing two teams that most people have in the top five in their power rankings so you know I'd, I'd love to see that split especially coming off a bye with the Cowboys and and look if you go back to last year and really kind of the last two years when it comes to San Francisco Teams struggle the next week because of how physical that 49ers team is. You know, it tends to have a carryover effect. And we saw it last year with Miami with the Chargers where they were still beat up. And Cowboys got beat up in that game. You know, they got beat up pretty good. So it's, it's a very physical game that the 49ers play, and it can take its toll on you. So I think you take advantage of that. The Cowboys catch a break because they get the extra day of rest, which goes a long way. But... You know, the Chargers are well-rested. Cowboys are still going to be feeling that game uh, a little bit. So you hope that, that they can take advantage, you know, of that. Uh, and then, like I said, it, for whatever reason, the schedule tends to favor the Chiefs in these matchups, you know, whether it's a Thursday night in Kansas City or coming off a mini-buy like they are this week, playing tonight as we do this on a Thursday, and then, you know, getting that extra three days of rest while the Chargers only get six days of rest and have to put a travel day in there. So it's not ideal. I think what I'm getting at here in a very long circuitous path is feel like you got to win this game on Monday night. This is, this, this is a big one. This is a big one to be three and two instead of two and three going to Cincinnati on a, or be going to Kansas city on a short week. Our buddy James tweeted this to us. Uh, the Niners uh, coming off a game against the Niners, their opponents last year, zero and 15. There you go. Oh, and 15 this year. I think the, yeah. the Steelers got crushed in week one, ended up winning their game in week two. So I don't know what the record is this year, but it just goes to your point from last year. They beat teams up Dallas with yeah. a, a bit of an advantage with that extra day. And you know, the, the sky is falling in, uh, in Frisco right now. So you know that they're going to come out with their hair on fire on national TV, uh, Monday night football. Uh, and then, and then we have the whole Taylor Swift thing. You know, is Taylor going to be at the game mm-hmm. against the Chargers in in, uh, in ten right. days? You know, that's another yeah. element, a layer to this that uh, I don't think anybody was expecting. Money. No, no, I did not anticipate having to uh, come up with a bit of analysis for that, and uh, whether or not the Chargers players are going to be distracted by the idea that yeah. uh, arguably one of the most famous people on on the planet Earth is going to be in the exact same stadium where they are playing watching them well, money them. and dj be uh, distracted you know if the if this if the box is right next to the the radio booth that's that's the question i have i will not i i don't think i will be that yeah i think if i you know when you when you come into the presence of of superstardom somebody that's that famous you tend to feel it you can feel their presence so i think if maybe i bumped into uh to her in the hallway that would be a bit strange you know yeah. i think you would feel that would you but put a picture up time... would you put a picture up in uh, in the booth like you did with oh, uh, yeah right the snowman exactly quick quick uh i could i could bring jerry reed with me although that did not work in, ten- in tennessee so i don't <laughs> want it to 
you know, be zero and two. I did not bring it to Minnesota. Um, yeah, maybe we get a selfie, take a photo printer, print it out, and, and put one up of us and Taylor so she's in our booth. And now we got that juju with us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine it. I don't think she's got anything else to do. I mean, her movie just came out, right? So she's, uh, she's, unless she's out promoting that, my guess is she'll be there on that Sunday and we'll feel the, uh, the pressure to perform in front of one of the world's greatest performers uh, of our time and space right now. So you've been prepping all week for this one. Uh, let's just get you out of here on this. Uh, calling a primetime game has to be pretty special for you and DJ. Uh, what do you think is going to decide it for the Chargers? We, we talked about everything, but if you had to kind of distill it down to, to one or two things, uh, what would they be? Well, just looking at the two losses the Cowboys have this year, it was, even though we don't think of the Cardinals' offense as super effective, it was offenses that were able to, to maintain the ball to possess the ball, to not allow the Cowboys to jump up early on them and let that pass rush pin their ears back, knowing that teams had to pass the ball in order to get back into the game, that they were too far back. So to me, it's – and the Chargers, we know, are very good at this, whether it's in a win or a loss. They will keep it close. So it's keeping it close, keeping their offense, you know, forcing their offense to, to not be able to just take the air out of the ball and run it a bunch of times, but have to run – you know, Dak Prescott out there into danger, trying to take advantage of that on your pass rush. So I know it's not the most, you know, intricate plan, but I think have your offense be successful. Put some points up on the board. Get the Cowboys behind. You know, force them to chase points. You know, not sit on a lead. So to me, that's a big part of it, a big part of why it got away from them in San Francisco. You know, it wasn't just how dominant the 49ers defense was. It was – that offense put up a ton of points quickly, and they just could not recover. It was too hard for them to try to get back into it. Um, I don't think very highly of Mike McCarthy as a play caller. I, I don't feel like you're, you know, as, when you watch that game back and you just see the offense that Kyle Shanahan is running, it's probably not fair to, to Coach McCarthy but because he's going against a dude that's just so freaking good at play yeah. calling. But just the difference is night and day. The, the gap was massive, and so – you know, let's let's make this a Kellen Moore game. You know, they they tried to – they made Kellen a scapegoat coming out of that 49er game, you know, and, and that's what that's – that's all that was. That was a complete scapegoat. Our offense couldn't get anything going against the 49ers in this playoff game. We blame Kellen Moore. I'm taking control of it. Our defense was good enough. The offense wasn't. So, you know, get it for Coach Moore. You know, go go out there and, and prove that that – that play card is nothing more than a Denny's menu in uh, McCarthy's hands and, uh, and get Kellen some, some big plays and put some points on the board. I like that. I, I also agree with possessing the football is going to be important and we, yeah. we want Kellen to air it out, but, but I think Austin Eckler running the football and getting that running game going, uh, keeping 100%. Dallas's defense on the field and, and uh, you know, keeping Justin Herbert on the field because you know, Dallas is going to try to establish the run and, uh, and keep Justin in that offense off the field. So uh, possessing the football is going to be big. And, and you know, the, the primetime matchup is going to be Parsons Slater, the guys who were drafted uh, right next I to hope. each other a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, Trent Williams, you're right. Best tackle in, in football. I think Rashawn is a close second. And uh, that's going to be a big part of 
of what the Chargers offense needs to do because still Max Crosby wrecked that game a couple of weeks yeah. ago. You, you can't have Micah Parsons do it money because that's going to wreck your offense. 100%. And they didn't account for Max enough. I thought they, they could have devoted a lot more resources to, to help Trey out. You know, now he did rush against Slater and had some success, but that goes back to what we talked about last week. I think Rashawn got hurt in that game. He got bent back on that sack from Max that came from the other side immediately because Pipkins had no help. And they just met at the quarterback at the same time, and he got bent back badly, and he was not the same after that. So hoping the, the bye week has helped him out. And if, in fact, Micah wants to, to try it, that, that Slater's there to stone him. Um, but if not, it's going to be super important for that O-line to, to be schemed up, to, to figure out. And again, I think just go back and watch the San Francisco game at all the different ways they approached slowing him down. Just, again, three tight end sets, pass pro from the backs, you know, leaking the fullback out. Micah thinks that he's got a, a quick pathway to the quarterback. No, use check has just blown by you on purpose, and now he's wide open in the flat for a touchdown. Like, there were just so many different ways that they were able – Keep the Cowboys on their heels. Yeah. Do not let them play on their toes. They let Max Crosby play on his toes. And that's – you can't do that. They're just – these players are too good. Crosby's too good. Micah Parsons is too good to be playing moving forward. You've got to get them to think about moving backward with, a like you said, a quality run game. Uh, establish that run. Force them to defend all phases of your offense. Get some light boxes. Take advantage of them. And money, if Joey does come back, you got Joey Khalil and Thule on the field together. The Raiders did not double-team Khalil Mack. As much as they right. said they, they added uh, bodies to, uh, to try to double him, they did not. Six sacks was the result. So can Khalil have a repeat performance or at least get a couple of sacks? And, and, and how does Joey react after being off for a couple of weeks? And, and obviously Thule's just doing his thing. So I think that, that Chargers pass rush – getting after Dak. You mentioned the, the pressures no that Steele has given up. Uh, that offensive line has been pretty banged up, I think, this year. So an opportunity to, to get after Dak. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if Joey's healthy, that's a huge boon. It's been fun to watch those three out there at the same time. It's been real fun because that's, you know, Thule's exceptional at freelancing. We talked about that last week, you know, just how sometimes he's going off script and he's really good at it. And he sees things out there. And, you know, when you've got to account for those three – and those being three of the four and the ability and, you know, especially they had, they had him out there with Morgan Fox a couple of times. Now you got four legitimate pass rushers on the defensive line and guys that can play interior um, defensive line, you know, defensive interior tackle or, you know, whatever I'm stumbling all over my words, but yeah, that's, that's a big boost. If you can get Joey back, I think the big question is, you know, what's better? Is it, is it getting Joey to a hundred percent against the chiefs or is it getting him out there to ensure you do everything you possibly can to get this win. You know, that's something they'll have to figure out. Yeah, and, and we'll know more. You guys will know more uh, because we're taping this on a Thursday morning. So check yeah. the injury report, and we'll see what Joey's status is as we get closer to Monday night. That's going to do it for us. Always appreciate you guys listening, watching. You can watch us on YouTube on Friday mornings. Uh, the podcast posts uh, audio on Thursday, and uh, we'll keep it rolling. We'll get you ready for Kansas City next week. In the meantime, enjoy the game against the Cowboys. For Money, I'm Chris. This has been Chargers Weekly.